0: Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, monsters and bad candy.
1: I think we're all scared of something. And I think that trying to recognize why we're afraid of what we are afraid of tells us more about one another. Because that's an example of where belief in a particular monster, uh, like a werewolf or a werehyena, did actually lead to real human deaths. The zombie is very much a, I hate to say alive, uh, but alive and well um, in those spiritual traditions. And that that is still something that happens to this day.
0: I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So our first guest studies monsters. This is Monster Scholar, Dr. Emily Zarka. What do you think captivates us about monsters?
1: I think that monsters are all about storytelling. I think that we do storytelling for entertainment purposes, but also to educate one another and to build community. So for me, scary stories at their root are about the power of imagination and a desire to share information. Uh, I think we're all scared of something. And I think that, trying to recognize why we're afraid of what we are afraid of tells us more about one another. Um, Sometimes these connections, unfortunately, can lead to some pretty real and terrifying results like discrimination or even death. Um, And I think that's because monsters provide convenient scapegoats a lot of the time uh, for negative human behavior. And I mean that not just because, not just the people who are being accused of being monsters or monstrous, but people making those accusations. I like to say a lot of the time the monster is more about the person pointing the finger at the monster and calling them evil or bad than it is about the monster itself.
0: Did people ever think that any of these are real?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, There are monsters out there that some people still believe are real. You could get into a whole conversation about cryptids. But historically, um, when bestiaries, so collections of illustrations and like short descriptions of different kinds of creatures across the world, we would see... In those volumes stuff we would recognize today like horses and cows um and then we'd also see some things that today we know to maybe not be true uh like dragons or even the basilisk uh so there was a large period of human history i would say that people thought a lot of these monsters were real and part of that wasn't just because they were there's a stereotype those people were like uneducated in some capacity and i think that that's doing them a disservice i think that The world was a lot smaller um, before more people could communicate at the speed in which we could communicate. So when you don't have this rapid sharing of information and you hear a story from someone across the world that like a kraken sunk their ship, it seems believable enough. Like maybe you see the survivors telling you that. Who's to say that you shouldn't believe them?
0: When you talk about like monsters, right? Like who are kind of the big ones, the ones that really stand out to you?
1: Uh, The ones that stand out to me just because they're one of my personal favorites are the undead of any kind. Um, I like to say that in every culture that buries their dead, there's some kind of reanimated corpse monster, Um, I think, because, of course, what happens after death is a mystery. uh, And that we like to, again, fill in the blanks of our imagination and try to make sense of the world around us by telling stories and monsters are part of that story. So, vampires would be the obvious example. Um, but I'm also really intrigued by where people. Um, so, where tigers, where hyenas, where wolves, not only because of how ubiquitous they are across the globe, um, because that's an example of where belief in a particular monster, uh, like a werewolf or a were hyena, did actually lead to real human deaths, uh, which is tragic and interesting in a lot of ways. And I like to think that by studying those stories and those, you know, real, werewolf trials, for instance, that we can hopefully um, become better people by trying to avoid those same mistakes in the future.
0: When you look at kind of the monsters that have existed, and I think of like vampires, Frankenstein, the mummy, etc, etc. Is there one one or ones that kind of stand out to you as like people have had kind of the harshest real life reaction to this?
1: I think werewolves again, and where people accusations and witchcraft accusations um, in places they're still today in the world where those accusations of malevolent sorcery can lead to like imprisonment or death, which is terrifying. Um so famously in the sixteenth and seventeenth centuries in Europe, there's what scholars like to call the werewolf trials, where various real individuals were being accused of shape shifting into wolves, um, and they were actually put on trial for that. And you might hear these hugely exaggerated numbers of, you know, tens of thousands of people that happened to, and that's not really true. Uh, The best guess is a couple hundred, but that's still people who were directly accused of being a werewolf who actually um, died and were found guilty of that accusation, which is, you know, impossible. Um, So I think that it's interesting to consider that, especially because a lot of the time, again, with werewolves as an example, you would be accused of being a werewolf in, you know, medieval Europe, not just for shape-shifting into a wolf, but for engaging in other deviant behavior, like serial murder um, or cannibalism, those people would also be accused of werewolves. And we see something similar but different, actually, um, in Africa. So there's the concept of the hyena in some parts of Sudan, uh, Tanzania, Ethiopia, and parts of Morocco, where we can actually connect the accusation of hyenas shape-shifting into humans, so the human skin's the false one, which is really interesting, um, to actual discrimination and death of the Ethiopian Jews or the Beta Israel. Um, we can like kind of clearly trace the xenophobia happening um, in those places. And that led again to very real life consequences.
0: Most of our audience is kind of in the United Kingdom and in the United States, in the United States. Are there places where you say when the, in the United States, like, oh, this is always for some reason, really stood out in Britain or the United States, where it hasn't like stood out in other places?
1: Uh, Britain is really interesting, particularly in England. I keep talking about werewolves, I'm sorry. But um, werewolf legends didn't really exist uh, in England after a period of time because famously uh, the king ordered for all wolves to be killed um, in England. So when you don't have the wolf, it's really hard to, you know, make the werewolf story. I think here in the U.S., though, the big ones that come up are uh, Bigfoot or Sasquatch, which people will swear up and down that it is real, and I'm not here to dismiss their experiences with that. Um, And then I would say also the Chupacabras, which originated in Puerto Rico, but now is more tied, I would say, to like the South, um, uh, West, and Mexico in particular.
0: Real kind of quickly, if we look at it, could you kind of sum up the history and what this monster has meant? I know that's kind of a big thing, but uh, vampires...
1: Um, So vampires is such a broad category. Um, If we're talking about sort of the Eastern European vampire, um, that is where a lot of what, at least in the Western world, we would conceptualize as like vampires today. So potentially shape-shifting, you know, with fangs, blood sucking, can only walk around in the daytime. Those things actually date to, again, Eastern European folklore legends uh, that started being recorded um, around the 1700s. And what I think a lot of people forget about vampires is that these creatures, again, a reanimated corpse that somehow preys on the life force of a human, has been around for thousands and thousands of years, if not millennia, which is crazy to think about. But what we recognize today as a vampire really only started when, alongside literature and the printing industry, where people started going around to these small communities and taking these legends and writing them down. And then those books would then be distributed um, and even translated and distributed. And we see the vampire really come into the like Byronic anti-hero or demon lover trope uh, in the 19th century, uh, along with the rise of Gothic literature for one thing. And then of course, vampires look really cool on film. Uh, so we have some early vampire movies pop up in the 20th century as well. and. I hate to say it because it's a cliche but the vampire never dies um we've basically consistently seen some kind of vampire fiction uh for hundreds of years now and i don't think that's happening anytime soon in terms of what it means uh i think it means different things depending on the characteristics of the vampire including things like gender um and race and age of the vampires for sure but for me vampires are about consumption and corruption Um, Unlike many other monsters, there's, you know, at least in European folklore, the idea that a vampire can turn a living human uh, into a vampire as well. And I think that this idea that we're all, you know, one bite and one heartbeat away from turning into a monster can be both terrifying but also exciting, I think, for some people. Um, There's a form of escapism, I think, in imagining ourselves as monsters or at least open to that. And while I think horror as a whole is cathartic. Um, not just, it's not just to scare people in my opinion. I do think that we like to be entertained. Um, and vampires look more like us, I think than some of the other monsters out there. So it's easier for us to transcribe meaning onto them.
0: They seem to be the only one that's sexualized.
1: Yes. And no, I mean, there's some weird stuff out there <laughs> particularly.
0: in general, reality, there's always somebody fiction. and if yes. that's your thing, that's your thing. <laughs> but In general, they seem to be the one. Like, why is that? Just because they, like, oh, you know, like, that kind of looks like us. Or is it something about the vampire that seems to?
1: I think that's part of it. What's actually interesting is before the vampire as, like, lover sort of emerges, the werewolf as lover uh, was actually something. And that's fallen by the wayside, which is interesting. But, again, I think we can attribute this to the 19th century, um, to this idea that gothic literature really solidified the character of, you know, the brooding – uh, handsome or beautiful, but reclusive, seductive sort of monster character is that singular figure. Um, and vampires can enter into homes very easily. Uh, so that I think is again easy to write into something. Um, I do think that vampires as sexy also is because of how vampires prey. Um, it's, I don't know what the age range of your show is, but it's incredibly phallic. Um, there's this idea of penetration that's happening, even if that's just from a bite mark. And again, I think there's a a lot of instances of, you know, biting on the neck or the chest and the heart. And so when you already, and those things might be happening in like bedrooms or more private enclosed spaces. So when you have penetration happening in, you know, a private space, I think that it's really easy to turn that into a sexual narrative.
0: That's why you take one step. It's not hard to get to Frankenstein.
1: The question when I teach Frankenstein that always emerges is, who's the real monster um, in Frankenstein? Because the idea of Dr. Frankenstein, and I'm putting that in air quotes because in Mary Shelley's original text, he's not actually a physician or even a philosopher. He drops out of college. <laughs> Fun fact. Mm-hmm. He's more of a natural philosopher or what we recognize as a scientist. Um, I think So is it Frankenstein who's the monster or is it his creation, the creature? Who's the monster? And I think that that's a really one of the reasons that Mary Shelley's creation has been so enduring is that it's easy to cast both creator and creation as monstrous. Um, and I think, again, that's another allegory we can put onto many different things and questions about science creating things that we don't understand or art um, for art's sake. Uh, what is beautiful? How should we be treating our creations? Uh, i think those are really interesting as well but of course mary shelley paved the way for science fiction Um, and i think that science fiction has always been very futuristically speculative Um, there are instances in science fiction that people like to say have predicted like real things and real technologies that actually happen so i think that for frankenstein we see revivals of frankenstein and frankenstein's creature repeatedly um, since that original uh, publication and i think Again, that's because it's as we, technology keeps advancing. So, the Frankenstein and Frankenstein's creature is a really easy way to talk about potentially the dangers of technology and things like religion and procreation in lots of different ways. My favorite example, though, of Frankenstein and Frankenstein's creature actually comes from the show Penny Dreadful. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I just
0: I can't watch anything scary. Like if it's above okay. animation, it's too scary for me.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'd say it's more spooky than scary, but obviously I'm coming from a completely different um, mindset. But there's, Frankenstein is portrayed in that film, I think really acu- accurately to Shelley's original character. And I think personally, it's the most accurate representation of the creature, both in appearance and in personality. Um, we have the black hair, the yellow eyes, the black lips, but, Caliban is the name of what the creature names itself in the show is also incredibly sensitive and kind and really just find a find trying to find connection in the world. And when that backfires, um, that's when he sort of really goes on his rampage and, you know, swears to destroy everything that Frankenstein cares about, which is essentially the true novel, not, you know, the lumbering uh, bolts in the neck kind of Frankenstein. So I'm partial. If anyone's a fan of Frankenstein and Frankenstein's creature out there, I'd say definitely check out the Penny Dreadful. A series, or at least just those episodes.
0: Um, is there a main zombie, or is zombies has always just been a plural thing?
1: Ooh, um, zombie has always been plural, in the sense that zombie Z-O-M-B-I, uh, actually emerges, we can connect that monster directly to the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, there were some older spiritual practices in parts of Africa about sort of soul-stealing or soul-control but it's, the zombie as a concept solidified in Haiti uh, during the slave trade there as both a way for people to find community um, for disparate individuals coming from all different backgrounds to sort of have the religion of Vodou to fall back on, but also zombie was considered a betrayal um, in the sense that if you were already enslaved bodily in life, what's the worst thing someone in your own community could do to you? It would be to enslave you um, after death. So when uh majority of um the enslaved people's population was moved to the u.s that's when we see the z-o-m-b-i become the zombie with the e at the end uh, that we more recognize today so i think that zombies have always had the potential to be plural um because the idea of how you create a zombie is a malevolent sorcerer uh or magical practitioner, excuse me spiritual practitioner called a bokor who takes control over the soul and the body. And I had the privilege of being able to talk to some real voodoo and voodoo priests and priestesses when I was filming the um, documentary Exhumed, History of Zombies for PBS. And I was informed by those individuals that the, ze- the zombie is very much, uh, I hate to say alive, uh, but alive and well um, in those spiritual traditions. And that that is still something that happens to this day. So do you have the, you know, resurrected running around cannibalism zombie in those traditions no definitely not at least from my understanding but I think zombies as a whole um, is a really interesting way of tracing modernity Um, not just looking back to the transatlantic slave trade but if we see the zombie emerge from the Haitian zombie to the Romero zombie to something maybe like the pandemic zombie and what I would call like the hive zombie as more and more people start to be present on the earth we see the zombie number go up like extremely. If you've seen a zombie movie in the last like 20 years, you can see this difference, right? You maybe have a couple hundred or like a swarm become a couple thousand. And then I always think of something like World War Z where you have what appears to be millions of zombies just swarming. And I think, again, overpopulation uh, is something that we can sort of attribute that increase to.
0: Most overrated monster, most underrated monster. Oh,
1: Ooh, that's hard. Like from a specific text or just in general?
0: I would say just in general, what you think would be like, oh, that one's underrated. This one's kind of overrated. Like enough with that one already.
1: I don't think we see that much of them now, but I don't personally think like uh, Cyclops or Gargoyles are that cool. They just don't like really do it for me. Um, I do think Yeti's a little overrated only because the original Yeti's were not actually supposed to be um, malevolent or like bad or dangerous in any way um underrated monster the first thing oh that pops into my head i think <laughs> this is gonna be a weird one i think the mononongal is underrated it's a filipino self-segmenting uh, vampiric monster that i'm obsessed with her i think that they're absolutely crazy i also think that um some of the more modern monsters are a little underrated and i think that that's because we haven't really explored their full Uh, stories yet there hasn't been enough creation because I haven't been around long enough so something like Slenderman or Siren Head which largely emerged in you know smaller online communities and then became part of larger pop culture texts really fascinate me and I think modern folklore in general is underrated because this is an unprecedented time for a folklorist whereas before you know we might have an idea of well the first time this monster appears in print like maybe maybe we can find that text But the way folklore happens and monster stories happen organically and verbally between individuals, it's really hard to pinpoint, like, this is exactly the period of time in which this monster originated. But that's different today because we have (laughs) timestamps on the Internet. So we know not only the exact year that, like, Slender Man was invented, but literally the day and the time. And I just think that's so cool, Uh, I guess, as just a history nerd and someone who's a monster scholar is really being able to pinpoint or even locate the people who created these monsters and i just i think monsters are just super cool and i think it's really i'm curious to see where they go in the future
0: why do you think that that is though because in my mind right like we had mm-hmm. all these creations in the 1800s or whatever right like mm-hmm. dracula Frankenstein, all that and then there was nothing until like slender man why do you think mm-hmm. that is there seems like this huge gap between where somebody like myself would be like oh that's a new one
1: mm-hmm I think we still see some trends, like there was a big, like the kaiju trend um, in the mid-20th century, along like the big bugs kind of situation. So I do think there have been a few smaller ones, but part of why I think those 18th and 19th century monsters were so popular and they're so ubiquitous today is because after many of those original stories took off, there were also like stage adaptations or operas or art and, you know, sequels created. And some of, again, the first horror films involved those monsters. So I think that not only were they working with some really strong original characters, but it was stuff that people had not just read about, but they had maybe seen, like an illustration of, or seen on stage. And I think that that's easier, again, to keep alive in the imagination. Whereas if you think of something like Slender Man, yes, there've been a couple you know, movies, some better than others, but they don't have that longevity at least yet. Um, And I think that I'm curious to see what sticks around, um, you know, 10, 20 years from now. I just did an episode from Ostrom about the SCP Foundation. I could see that one growing quite a bit because it's a lot about government conspiracy and, you know, hidden knowledge. And some things are maybe supernatural, and preternatural things are real. Maybe some art, maybe they can be contained. And I think that as misinformation continues to be an issue in our world in a lot of ways that we might see a rise in that kind of secret society type uh, organization.
0: Is there any trend in the sense where like back then, so to speak, these mm. used to be things that people like, oh, maybe that's real. Like now the ones seem like there's no way that's real. Has that changed or have I just made that up?
1: <laughs> um, I think there's always been skeptics and there's always been believers. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. I mean, you could I've done this, right, where it pointed out, like, hey, the DNA testing of this, you know, example of Yeti fur has been proven to be this type of bear, and there are still people who will swear up and down that that's just one sample, or that, you know, that's just a lie someone's telling. And that's been around for forever. Um, Again, going back to those witchcraft or werewolf accusations, I'm sure there were people rolling their eyes or adamantly saying, like, of course this person isn't, you know, practicing malevolent magic. But there are people who definitely believe so. I just, again, think that as we become more technologically advanced and as communication spreads more rapidly and things like science evolve, that maybe it's easier to dismiss certain things than it was in the past. Um, But I do still think there are people out there who want to believe that monsters are real. And I think that's a really interesting question.
0: That's pretty much all the questions that we have. What's kind of mm-hmm. coming up next for you? How can people learn more? That kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, if you want to learn more about me, you can of course go to my website, dremilyzarka.com. I try to, it's dated a lot of the time, but you can always contact me there and find some of my current projects I'm working on. Um, I should be appearing uh, in, in, I almost just, dropped it i'm not supposed to say anything yet um you might be hearing me on some other streaming platforms uh in audio format soon which i'm excited about and hopefully we can speak more of but monstrum just wrapped filming for our fifth season and we are definitely going to be making more so definitely go to the story youtube page to find the latest videos uh, from monstrum
0: i want to thank dr zarka so much for joining us if you want to connect with her we have linked to her on our social media platforms We're profoundly pointless on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube, and we've also included her information in the episode description. If you want to see more of this interview, the YouTube version of it will be live on October 26th at 4.30 p.m. Pacific. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. Okay, if you had a choice between being like a vampire, Frankenstein, mummy, werewolf, that kind of thing, which one would you be? I feel like I would want to be a vampire first. Yeah, yeah. And then a werewolf? I could potentially be convinced to be a werewolf instead of a vampire, but I think that I would be a vampire first.
2: I just feel uh, how the media has portrayed all of these creatures, that vampires always seem to at least
0: live the best lives to begin. Being a vampire doesn't have a huge downside to it, right? Mm -mm. Like, oh, can't go out at night or can't go out during the day. It's not that big of a deal anymore, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, we did that. So I feel like Vampire has the least downside. Who would you least want to be, though?
2: I mean, out of uh, the generic Halloween monsters, I mean, probably a zombie, Frankenstein, something that's kind of dead already.
0: um, That just doesn't Mm -hmm. seem appealing to me. I feel like last on my list would be Frankenstein. Because Frankenstein is basically like a zombie, but he's still mentally there. At least a zombie, I don't think that you have any kind of mental capacity. Like, you're—it's not really—like, <laughs> yeah. Frankenstein, you know you're a monster, and you know, like, you're never going to fit in. I feel like Frankenstein would struggle with the world more than the zombies would. he just don't care.
2: Uh, and then, you know, you think about werewolves. Would I really want to be a werewolf? I mean— you're gonna you're gonna have to buy new clothes all the time because you're just gonna be ripping out of the you know the, the current ones when you're a human.
0: That's always the big concern. That's what I never understood about some superheroes. It's like you got to carry a change of clothes with you everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I mean, may, maybe being a
2: ghost would probably be my number two, but even that one, it, it's just. You can't live a,
0: you know, you can't live a normal, great life because you're a ghost. The only way that I would be a ghost is if I also had the capability of talking to other ghosts. Otherwise, I wouldn't want to be a ghost. Like, it'd be kind of cool to mess with people or see what's going on, hang around, that kind of stuff. But after a while, that would get pretty old. You'd be pretty lonely unless you could talk to other ghosts.
2: Yeah, it would get, I think, from, what, the first week when you're, I don't know, flying around and nobody can see you and you're doing things that, you know, you wouldn't be able to do if you were able to be seen. That would that would be cool for maybe a week. And
0: then after yeah. that,
2: you would just go into this state of depression.
0: Yeah, you wouldn't want to be a ghost for very long. Unless you no. could hang out with all the other ghosts. Then it'd be pretty cool. Then you could have some fun with it. You could travel, go <laughs> see other ghosts. Like, oh, do this, mess with this person.
2: Just scare people for no reason, just to laugh at each other. Sure. Yeah, it sounds great. Have a good time, man. Have a good time. Are you good under pressure? Do you feel like you're good under pressure? I I feel Mm. like you'd have to describe the the moments of pressure, but I mean, I I can get stuff done if that's what you're referring to. I
0: feel like under the pressure of being asked that question, you kind of cracked a little bit. I'm going to say that you're like a six and a half to a seven under pressure.
2: Uh, all right, well, shout out time. Uh, let's see. We'll start with Jim Doubt or Dute. Uh, you know Han- him. I know Jim D- Doubt. Yes. Oh, boy. you've met him. He was at my wedding. Yeah, Jim. Hi. Good. Good to see you, Jim. God dang, dude. Dylan Ray, uh, Hannah. Andrew. Are you a
0: for- do you forget people that you meet? Do you feel yeah. like you generally forget yes. people? How long before, how long does it take you to forget someone that you've met?
2: Like for instance Jim, somebody I met one time and I was probably under the influence of things. I mean how was I supposed to remember his name?
0: I had never I, even thought of him outside of that. But in general, how often would you how long do you think that it takes you to forget somebody? Like you'll have to be reintroduced to them, you forgot their name, that kind of stuff. Probably a year, maybe less. Oh, I was gonna say like a day or a week for me. I can no, I, forget somebody's name. I can forget somebody's name instantly. Names, I'm not good with. But if
2: I if I see them or if if uh, if they pop back up on my phone, uh, I I can usually go back to like knowing and recognizing them. Hmm. I can't remember names
0: for shit. I can remember a little bit about somebody, but not names.
2: Okay. I'm kind of a nickname person, so if I come up with a nickname for you, I kind of go along with that one instead of
0: knowing your actual name. Do you think people want you to call them nicknames? Like At what what age do you not want to be called by a nickname anymore?
2: I guess it depends if it's a flattering nickname or if it's not a flattering nickname. Well, I don't think any nickname is really flattering. Sure, some some are good, and some are good. Like David Ortiz, the baseball player, is forever going to be
0: called Big Poppy. That's a sweet nickname. It's a sweet nickname, but it's also like he's a bigger dude, <laughs> yeah. right? Like that's there's always a slight bit of condescension in every nickname.
2: I don't disagree with you, but I don't agree either.
0: Okay. That makes sense. I'm going to say once you're out of college, you don't want to have be called by a nickname anymore. Is your you don't cup, want to be like? It's is a your junk. cup iced. No. Or is it just like faded?
2: That. Is it just faded?
0: I've had this cup for 12 years.
2: For those of you who can't see this, this cup definitely looks like it looks like it's been around for
0: 25 years. Oh, yeah, it's been faded and washed. It used to be a great cup. Still good material, probably drinking all kinds of plastic chemicals. It's been sitting after that's gone through the washer 150 (laughs) times, but (laughs) that's probably safe for the body. I don't
2: even remember where I left off after Jim, so uh, I'm just going to continue. Uh, Justin Tubbs, Jen Thompson, Edward Nowak, Sean Howard, two names for uh, two first names for his name there, Uh, Patrick Cook,
0: Ethan Shuck. Dylan Ray and Roman ahmed you Dylan's another Dylan's another one of those names. It's a decent name, but there can only be so many of them. You don't want to have a lot of Dylan's Yeah, you don't
2: I think I know two Dylans in my life right now, two of them that's enough. That's all that's, you need that's enough. <laughs> that's enough Dylan's. but say you're starring in a horror movie, would you rather be the person that gets killed off first or be the survivor of the movie? Well, ultimately, I'd rather live. I mean, I don't ever want to die. Okay. <laughs> like You're in a movie. You're in. A, it's not like it's real
0: life. You're in a movie. Well, then I'd want to last a long, around as long as possible. That means I got the brightest career.
2: But, right? no, see, that's that's a great point. Like, think of Scream with Drew Barrymore, right? She gets killed off in the first 10 minutes.
0: Didn't even know she was in it.
2: Oh, my God. Of course. <laughs> okay, okay. Scream Scream is probably the most notable franchise for doing that with, you know, semi famous celebrities. Like I think Jada Pickett Smith was in the second one and she gets killed off pretty early, her and Omar Epps. Um Well.
0: They always <laughs> kill they always kill off people of color much quicker.
2: Right. I well that's actually and that's been debated too. Like why does that happen? I'm sure there's all kinds of research and studies out there that prove as to why that happens, but um Yeah, Yeah, to
0: answer your question, no, I'd like to live through it, right? I'd like to be the last person. I generally have, if I have a choice between being alive or dead, (laughs) I generally choose being alive.
2: No, So I I think I'd want to go out first. Like, just have me be the, the leading scene there. And I want to be the death that you remember. I don't want to just be the big guy that wanders through the woods in the middle of the movie that just gets my head cut off and then on to the next kill,
0: you know? I wouldn't want to be one of the middle people killed in a horror movie, because I feel like those deaths are always unusually brutal. Like, the first couple of them, they're just surprise deaths. They're not usually that bad. And then as you get going through the horror movie, it's like they were ripped apart by wild animals. (laughs) Like, they were stabbed a thousand times with a screwdriver. Like, the deaths just get worse. So I'd rather go in the beginning of the horror movie.
2: I don't think I've ever asked you this question on this podcast, even though we've done, what, six Halloweens together now? But uh, you not being a horror movie fan, uh, my question is pretty simple. Have you ever seen a real horror movie? And if so, what's the last one that you've watched? I don't think that I've ever seen it. I
0: went. No, maybe I went to see the movie Scream in a theater. Maybe, but I also might have went and seen one of those parody movies, and I can't keep it straight. But other than that, I've never watched any kind of horror-related movie. I'll look up the plot on Wikipedia if I'm really interested in it. (laughs) But I couldn't. I can't watch it. I watched the Haunted Mansion from Disney, and I was like, it was pushing it a little bit. Oh my god, this is pushing. I don't like scary,
2: man. I'm not judging anybody, man. If that's your if that's your flavor, that's awesome. Um. But, uh, I mean, you you haven't seen any of the, you've never seen
0: any of the nope. Nightmare on Elm Streets, none nope. of the Friday the 13th. I mean, no desire to do that whatsoever. I have absolutely no desire to be scared. Well, you know, it's,
2: that's all right. It's, it's, we'll move on. Uh, well, my second part of my question here um, as a homeowner, do you pass out candy? Do you walk around with your kids and you say, don't, you know, just put out a bowl?
0: What's, what's your candy? Putting out strategy on Halloween night, I go pretty much all effort. I put out candy, then I go trick or treating with my children. Then I come back and I hope that maybe we get some visitors because I don't want to eat all this candy. So I go pretty much all. What do you not? Do you not do anything? Uh, No. So we
2: we started. We well, we went full on. You know, handing out candy. We had then we had the babies. So then we would go trick-or-treating. Last year was the first year. While we were trick-or-treating, we put out a bowl of candy. And according to our doorbell camera, some little bastards took the whole bowl within like five minutes of us leaving our driveway.
0: Oh, I have no problem with that. um, I Get rid of the candy either way. What do you care if it's one kid, five kids, or (laughs) 20 kids? Just get rid of it. I I mean, you you kind of feel – I mean, I don't know. I was was kind of
2: angry about it. Uh, I mean – You put out, I don't know how many, 50, 60 pieces of candy for hopefully all the kids and one fucker takes
0: it all. It's, you know, it's not fair. I mean, I'm okay with it, right? (laughs) Be aggressive in life. (laughs) So what you're saying is you applaud that kind of behavior. Well, either way, I mean, the kid's only going to get so much candy. If you load up at one house, then aren't they just leaving it for everything else? I just see it like you either get it all here or you get it a bunch of different places. What's the difference? Well, this year we have my
2: neighbors going to keep a watchful eye on our bull. So
0: what a waste of time that is.
2: How how old is too old to look forward to scaring kids on Halloween? Like if you're a 45 year old man and you go or woman and you go all out on Halloween just to just to get some scares out of little kids. Is that is that is that pushing it? Is that too
0: much? I don't generally approve of scaring children. <laughs> right like you're gonna have to have a pretty good reason while you're doing this thing to scare children i, I would have right. to say i generally don't agree with that <laughs> i mean there's i mean i'm sure you
2: get it in your neighborhood I have people listening have it in there you you get those few houses that you know go all out and they're gonna have jump scares and shock scares as the kids are walking up to the door and it's like my kid's four years old man Is she you know you don't she have to gotta, scare
0: her you got to turn that off, right? Like if you're trying to do that for like 12 to 16-year-olds, the I, that's the thing that I don't understand. The only kids that you should be interested in scaring are the kind of kids that are old enough that they shouldn't be trick-or-treating. <laughs> well,
2: that's funny you mentioned that. That was another question I had for you while we're on this Halloween theme is what is too old to go out trick-or-treating without children?
0: Uh, I mean, I think you should probably be done by high school. I think high school should be done, if not earlier than that, right? But I also think that people are in too much of a hurry to to grow up. I feel like adults should go trick-or-treating now. Go have fun. (laughs) Like, if an adult showed up at your door, if an adult showed up at your door, clearly without children, would you give them candy?
2: I mean, I'm sure I've done it, so I'm going to say yes. I mean, there was... I want to say it was 21 because it was right after the pandemic, like right after 2020, the, the, you know, the, the real, real bad year of the pandemic. And we had one, one kid show up and he's like, trick or treat. <laughs> and I looked at my wife and I'm like, how old is this
0: fucking guy? This is damn near 30. But, what age yeah. though, would you, what, at what age would you not give a trick or treat or candy? 20s, 30s, 40s?
2: I'm not sure that I I would turn somebody down. I don't know if I could do that. I mean, I feel like that takes a lot of gall to look at somebody walking up to your door and have them go through all that just to go, I'm not giving you one
0: little Kit Kat bar because you're a 67-year-old man. I'm not giving anybody between the ages of 25 and 35 candy. That's the age where it's like it's not ironic enough. Like, no, you shouldn't be doing this. I mean, it's it's a lot. I mean,
2: it's definitely a lot when somebody comes up and they're not with children or even part of a group.
0: Um, How many people yeah, I, do you have coming up to your house that aren't children or part of a group? Do you have that many adults coming trick or treating where you're at? I mean, I don't
2: know if they're adults, but they're definitely teenagers. Uh, oh, men, that's a you know, different. But they, you know, they look fifty. So kids today look older, man. That's for damn sure. <laughs>
0: uh, are you ready for our top five?
2: I am. It's going to be a spooky
0: top five. No, it's not. Okay. No, it's it's not. not. Uh, So, our top five is top five worst candies to get trick or treating. (laughs) What's your number five? Uh, So, this
2: is about as generic as you can get, but I had to put it on. And uh, my number five is just unnamed candies. You know, like the ones that would come in, like the wax papers. Yeah. Like the strawberry
0: looking things.
2: Yeah. Just, it's, you just know by when you get a handful of it that it's just going to be crap. From the get go. Oh, you don't even want it.
0: You don't like, I don't want even it. want it. I'd rather you just said you didn't have any candy. Um, <laughs> my number five is taffy. I don't want any kind of taffy or any of that kind of candy. Like here's taffy. It should be chocolate. All Halloween candy should basically just be chocolate. It should all be chocolate. And that's essentially it. I mean, I, I would bet that both of our lists.
2: It's gonna. You're gonna be hard pressed to find a, a, any kind of chocolate on a top
0: five worst candy list. No, I think all Halloween candy should be chocolate or have some chocolate in it. Anything else is kind of in the wrong path. All right,
2: all right. My number four are the wax bottles with the juice in them. <sighs> if you remember those, seem like a seem like a good idea, but were such a pain in the ass for what you actually got. The juice was always okay. Um.
0: But getting there was just a pain in the butt. You can't have more than like three to five of those. Like, I don't want to have 20 of those things. Like, oh, okay, I'll have one more of those. That was kind of different. But then I'm done. It's over with after that. Well, and it's
2: it's just, like I said, it's just a pain in the butt. And then, you know, you go to bite the wax off, and then sometimes you bite into the body, and then the juice spills out all over the place, and you just have a mouth load of wax. And it's just they're, it's just not worth it. Not worth mm. it at all.
0: No. No, my number four is bit of honey. Okay. No, yeah. nobody wants
2: that. i I've actually never gotten a bit of honey. If I do rem- If I do, I don't remember it. I just threw it away or gave it to my dog. I'd rather have a bit of chocolate instead of a bit of honey. <laughs> I'd rather have a lot of chocolate. Yeah. Um, okay, number three. number three. My number three is probably not going to be a popular choice, but um I'm going with pixie sticks. That's my number three.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that's number three, but I certainly don't want anything like that. Are those like dipping things? So spe- specifically,
2: pixie sticks when they came in the and maybe we're. I'm aging myself here, but the uh, paper tubes, where like when you went to oh, go like yeah. bite it off, if you go, if you were if you were a, a drooler like me, then it gets all nasty and coagulated, and nothing comes out, and it's just. It's just a pain in the neck. I
0: don't really want to deal with any complicated candies.
2: No. I don't want to
0: have to. Do, there's, there should be no more than one step in eating candy. I don't want to dip it. <laughs> All right? Let's open it, eat it. That should be the only two steps. My number three is any kind of like suckers or lollipops or anything like that. The only thing that I could maybe see is like a Tootsie Pop where it has chocolate in the middle of it. But anything other than that, I don't want any suckers or lollipops or anything like that.
2: Oh, man. I mean, I, I don't agree with you there, man. Suckers are good. Suckers are – I don't remember what they're called, but they're the the green apple with the caramel on the outside of it. Uh, Those are
0: delicious. Mm, uh, uh-uh. I don't want any kind of – I don't want anything that I'm not chewing. <laughs> That's my rule. All right, my number
2: two, and uh, this is such cliche, but it's true because this candy is fucking terrible, and that's candy corn.
0: I don't no, know if I know, but was it always that bad or has it become a thing where like now we hate it? Like, oh, it's just the candy that everybody makes fun of. It's the nickelback of candy where it's like really everybody <laughs> doesn't mind it that much, but it it's not that bad. It's just got a bad reputation. The, the nickel back of candy—that's <laughs> what candy oh, corn is. That was funny.
2: Um, I do believe you know public uh, public opinion has kind of taken over for candy corn, but it's just not very good. I will say some of the variants, like chocolate candy corn, other kinds of candy corn, are, are, are stomachable, but
0: are tolerable, but not not
2: regular candy corn. What's it going to taste like wax half the time?
0: My number two is that bubble gum. Double Bubble that was just hard as a brick. Oh, my. You're insane. You're
2: talking about the, the little rectangle you like used to get the comic strips on the outside?
0: Yeah, but it was just like a rock. Any right. kind of, like, cheap gum that they would give you is just like a rock that you couldn't do anything with. Now, cheap, cheap gum I'd give you, but not, man, don't throw out Double Bubble in there, man. It was, it was junk. I, I don't think that was the comic strip one. There, was, I know what you're talking about—the comic strip gum, but I don't think it's double bubble. I, I could very well be wrong.
2: I, in saying that, I would have gum nowhere. That's probably the only candy that I actually eat on
0: a regular basis—is gum. Bazooka Joe. Okay, yeah, that's Bazooka what that was. Joe was the comic. Was that the comic? I don't mind Bazooka Joe, but any of that other kind of like double bubble, where it was just like grinding through pebbles—that was.
2: Yeah. Nope. Nope. Okay, which number one? Uh, this should be everyone's unanimous number one because they are. And I, I was looking up some lists before doing this, and it was the unanimous number one. And those are circus peanuts.
0: Oh wait, but not like actual peanuts, like the candy circus no. peanuts.
2: They're like they, so they're shaped like peanuts, but they're orange and they're they have like a like a taffy texture oh yeah like they're like they look like they're going to be soft but they're not soft and they taste bad and when i was a kid there was always this house that would give you them but they weren't in bags they weren't in packaging so like they would just dump a handful into your bag of circus peanuts yeah and by the time you get back to your house They'd either be stale or hard, and it just, they were, like I said, I've said this about six times already, but they were intolerable to even try.
0: Why would you go back to the house?
2: I mean, you never know, right? Why do you get back with old girlfriends and boyfriends? Because maybe, maybe they're going to
0: change, you know? You never know. Yeah, you got to give it one more shot. Maybe today's the day. No, circus peanuts are terrible. That's the kind of thing that I would just, never in my life have I ever thought about eating that or known someone who enjoyed them. Like, who's keeping that candy in business? <laughs> I it's know c-
2: one person who enjoys them,
0: and I question his tastes on almost everything. Yeah, that's pretty standard. If you're going to eat something like that, you got a lot of bad tastes. Um, my number one is any kind of cracker or cheese it or anything that kind of comes in a bag that people hand you, anything like that. I don't want any of that stuff on Halloween. It's it's essentially chocolate or nothing. Just give me chocolate. I mean, you should have
2: just said my top five is anything uh, that's not chocolate. Anything that's not chocolate is basically the worst kind of Halloween candy. I would always get excited actually if I got packets like that because you never knew what was in them. I, you know, I I didn't want the one Tootsie Roll, which are also kind of terrible too. By the way, Tootsie yeah. Rolls are not very good candy. Um You know one thing that I never really, like, maybe it was just the area I grew up in or the houses that we went to, but I didn't get a lot of full candy bars.
0: I had one or two houses that would give a full candy bar, but I don't think that I ever came back with more than three full candy bars on a night of trick-or-treating. I mean, we had,
2: uh, there there was one person that lived like four houses down from us that would just hand out single pennies. And now looking back on it, I'm like, what a
0: pissed off person to give out single pennies. Like, what am I going to do with that? If I go to a hundred houses, I could get a (laughs) dollar. Like, what are you going to do with
2: that? I mean, obviously different times. I mean, this was the early nineties. So pennies had a little
0: bit more value than they do now, but not, not much at all. You could never buy anything with that. Never. There's, there can't be a single person in the entire United States of America (laughs) who has ever like gotten enough Pennies or money on Halloween to actually buy something?
2: Oh, I'm sure there is. I'm sure someone's going to post it somewhere for us and say, hey, you were wrong, Nick. So and so got 42,000 pennies one Halloween night or
0: something. It's a sack of pennies. I mean, if you got 42,000, <laughs> I don't know how much money that is. That's like $420, actually. Uh, what's in your honorable mention? Do you have any honorable mention? That's a lot of work for That's a lot of work. Uh, I have hot tamales. Okay, I don't mind a hot tamale. I can shake it up a little bit. It's just, That's an approved shake it up candy to bring me back to like, oh no, I actually yeah. want this again.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I put Smarties on the list because oh. one package of Smarties is kind of pushing it. But when you get multiple packs of Smarties and it's just, I don't know, they're just
0: n- not, not a good candy to me, Smarties. I would put that in the, like, you can have a couple category. Like, I can have a couple of Smarties, a couple of Tootsie Rolls, a couple of, like, a candy in a box, like a Milk Dud or whatever else comes in there. But that's about it. Otherwise, it's got to be <laughs> M&Ms, Reese's Pieces, Kit Kat, Twick Tac, Tick, Tick, Twick <laughs> Twix, 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 Twix,
2: Twix, Twix, Knacks, and Patty Wax. Um... What else do yeah, that's kind of I mean that's that, that's kind of it. Um, I also put on here like any caramel candy, but that's just my preference. I'm not a big caramel fan, so
0: I never like caramel on the outside of anything. I can handle caramel on the inside, but I never want it on the outside of something.
2: And for God's sakes, if you're listening to this and you listen to anything we ever say, which is your own fault, don't give fruit. do not give fruit out on Halloween. that's
0: just a that's just a terrible idea. What if it was like blueberries? Now if somebody gave me blueberries, I'd be okay with that. Like, here's the thing of blueberries: like, oh, this is <laughs> first a nice off, fruit. Nobody in this
2: country is handing out, you know, one a, blueberry, a, a half a, you know, eight ounces of blueberries per kid, with the price of blueberries. But oh. that one—that's just a terrible idea. And then what about a get,
0: watermelon slice? What if some? What if you went to somebody's house and they had a watermelon slice? The
2: only way that I'm okay with getting, uh, you know. Uh, Treats like that is if you know the people well and if it's like in a hot climate.
0: What fruits would you accept as Halloween gifts? Or what 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 fruits would you accept as Halloween trick or treats? Like if I, they gave you this kind of fruit, you'd be like, oh, okay, all right.
2: I, I wouldn't accept any actually. And mm. last year I think we had some
0: apples, some bananas. Nope. I would accept blueberries, watermelon, mango.
2: I mean, if you're asking me my personal preference, I mean, i, I mean, I take most fruit, I think.
0: I like fruit, so. I'm not taking any oranges or apples. You yeah, got to give me some exoticness. One. There has to be a little bit of exotic <laughs> ability to the fruit. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, leave us a quick review. We really appreciate it. it. really does help out the show. It supports us a lot. So even a couple of quick words really helps us out. And let us know what you think are some of just the worst candies to get. The kind where you would... I, I just don't even want this. Like, why would you even have this? I would honestly take a mango. I, or some blueberries. You give me, like, a watermelon... I would rather have watermelon than any of the candies that we talked about. Any of them, John or I's.
1: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s.